What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome to another episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am Andrew for America, and uh, today I want to kind of continue a little bit with the thought process that I had from the last episode, uh, the social contract. And, excuse me, I realized that I forgot to include um, Thomas Paine. Uh, In the last episode, I think I said, uh, Common Sense, there's another book you guys should all read. Well, Thomas Paine wrote wrote that book. Um, And I can't believe I didn't talk about him in the last episode. I'm just going to kick this one off uh, uh, just to end kind of the social contract theorists that I wanted to discuss. Uh, I'm just going to knock this out right now. So um, one of my favorite Thomas Paine quotes is, He who dares not offend cannot be honest. I love it. I love it. If you are so scared of offending people that you just candy coat, sugar coat, uh, avoid confrontation at all costs... Because you're just too afraid of, I don't know, what people think of you or, or uh, I don't know, you're just being a coward. You're, you, you cannot be honest if that's the way you, you are, if that's the way you interact with people. You know, you, you, it's like this whole PC culture. Like, I don't understand what the, the future is going to be such a slap in the face wake up call to a lot of you. I mean... Ugh, I don't know what you guys are doing. You're just afraid to talk to each other. Your face is in the screen 24 hours a day. Don't even know how to have, like, mutual respect and any of that towards other people anymore. I see it all the time. People are out there just absolutely horrible, terrible people to each other. We are not good and nice to one another out in public with our fellow citizens very much anymore. It's the slow degradation of morals. And it's the slow degradation of the principles that founded this country. He he who dares not offend cannot be honest, okay? Uh, Here we go. So here's a little bit about Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine was born uh, February 9th, 1737, died January 29th, 1737. Uh, nope, just kidding. That is incorrect. I forget when he died, he didn't have it on here. Who cares? Uh, he was an English-born American political activist, philosopher, political theorist, and revolutionary. He authored Common Sense in 1776 and The American Crisis. Uh, after that, the two most influential pamphlets at the start of the American Revolution and helped inspire the Patriots in 1776 to declare independence from Great Britain. His ideas reflected Enlightenment-era ideals of transnational human rights. Uh, Historian Saul Padover described him as a corset maker by trade, a journalist by profession, and a propagandist by inclination. So he was uh, putting out... Uh, what I would uh, term as good guy propaganda. I mean, propaganda I mean, can be used for both positive and negative things. It's just normally used for negative things. But, um, you know, the propaganda that Thomas Paine was writing, 
1776, I probably would have agreed with <laughs> quite a bit. Um, uh, born in Thetford in England, the England County of Norfolk, Payne emigrated to the British American colonies in 1774 with the help of Benjamin Franklin, arriving just in time to participate in the American Revolution. Virtually every rebel read or listened to a reading of his 47-page pamphlet. 47 pages, people. Common sense. 47 pages. Proportionally, the all-time best-selling American title which catalyzed and which catalyzed the rebellious demand for independence from Great Britain. The American Crisis was a pro-revolutionary pamphlet series. Payne lived in France for most of the 1790s, becoming deeply involved with the French Revolution as well. He wrote Rights of Man in 1791, in part a defense <clears throat> in part a defense of the French Revolution against its critics. His attacks on Anglo-Irish conservative writer Edmund Burke led to a, tri uh, a trial and conviction in absentia in England in 1792, meaning if he came back, he would be convicted. Uh, and that was for the crime of seditious libel. So Thomas Paine was a revolutionary. He was a punk rocker. This guy was the punk rocker of his day. This guy was pushing buttons. This guy was pissing off the status quo. This guy was trying to create overthrow government. Uh, the British government of the William Pitt the Younger, worried uh, by the possibility that the French Revolution might spread to England, had begun suppressing works that espoused radical philosophies. Paine's work, which uh, advocated the right of the people to overthrow their government, was duly targeted with a writ for his arrest issued in early 1792. Paine fled to France in September, where despite not being able to speak French, he was quickly elected to the French National Convention. Uh, but the Girondins, the Montegards, and Maximilien Robespierre regarded him as an enemy. December, uh, December 1793, he was arrested and was taken to Luxembourg Prison in Paris. While in prison, he continued to work on the Age of Reason. James Monroe, a future president of the United States, used his diplomatic connections to get Payne released in November 1794. Payne became notorious because of his pamphlets, The Age of Reason. He advocated deism, promoted reason and free thought, and argued against institutionalized religion in general and Christian doctrine in particular. So this guy would not have been, what he would not have seen eye to eye with John Locke. <clears throat> he was a little bit more of a secularist, if you will. Uh, he published the pamphlet Agrarian Justice, 1797, discussed the origins of property and introduced the concept of guaranteed minimum income through a one-time inheritance tax on landowners. In 1802, he returned to the United States when he died. Here it is, June 8, 1809. Only six people attended his funeral as he had been ostracized for his ridicule of Christianity. So, you know, I love that story, people. It's because it speaks directly to a lot of the stuff I've been talking to you guys about. There, you know, government is force. And once upon a time, if you disagreed with the government, if you, if you spoke out against Christianity, I mean, psst, you're in trouble. You were in trouble. So, you know, these, these are, you know, this is just more of the philosophical, uh, you know, roots of 
getting away from King George and going to this new world to create a better world, freer, a freer world where you could live your own life according to your personal philosophy, your personal belief system, and not what the king or government was forcing you to do. Sounds to me like, you know, yes, there was slavery going on back during this time, but these people, I've said it a million times, they were trying to create a better, more equal, more freer world for everyone. Everyone. Period. If you disagree with that and you buy into this crap that, oh, we're such a racist history and, uh, you know, yeah, yes, it was there, you guys. But if you just completely disregard all of the history part and you just focus on the racism part, they got you, boy. That's what the, that's what the media is trying to do. Focus on the racism. Fight each other so that you don't point the finger at us. Um, <clears throat> biographer Eric Foner identified identifies a utopian thread in Thomas Paine's thought, writing, Through this new language, he communicated a new vision, a utopian image of an egalitarian, republican society. How often do you see the word utopian and republican in the same sentence? <laughs> That's why these terms are important, people. They change over time. The definitions don't change, but the meaning that we assign to the words change over time. And that is usually by design and perpetrated by the government and media. Okay, we've been over this many, many times. Uh, Payne's utopianism combined civic republicanism, belief in the inevitability of scientific and social progress and commitment to free markets and liberty in general. These guys sound a lot like libertarians today, don't they? Don't they? Yeah. Maybe there's some good uh, good ideas in those founders' words and in libertarian uh, philosophy of today. Not not super different. There are differences, of course. The multiple sources of Paine's political theory all pointed to a society based on the common good and individualism. Paine expressed a redemptive futurism or political messianism, writing that his generation would, quote, appear to the future as the atom of a new world. Paine exemplified British utopianism. Later, his encounters with the indigenous peoples of the Americas made a deep impression. The ability of the Iroquois to live in harmony with nature while achieving a democratic decision-making process helped him refine his thinking on how to organize society. That's a big part of American history we leave out and we don't talk about it anymore. And it's a shame. It's a, it's a damn shame that we don't give the Native Americans that were here before us the credit that they deserve. And... and how much of our medicine and our um, the way we organize our society we we borrowed or stole <laughs> from the Native Americans that were here when the white man came over to the New World. Lots of American history that is not being made a secret yet. Who knows? Maybe this stuff might start disappearing off of all your you know Kindles and your. You know, Amazon might pull it. Who knows? 
But, you know, I recommend, you know, buy physical books, people. It's probably the best thing you can do for posterity is buy physical books. Don't buy all your books on your technology. Because if any of that technology ever goes away, so go the books. And if you don't have physical books to refer to, if the technological world, you know, who knows, maybe there's a future EMP blast by some foreign nation. And uh, we have no technology, uh, technological equipment to use anymore. All of our knowledge is gone if it's only on your computers. So I highly recommend people go buy these books. Go buy physical books. Okay? So that's a little bit about Thomas Paine. Uh, here's another Thomas Paine quote that I really love. The most formidable weapon... I'm sorry, the most formidable weapon against errors of every kind is reason. I have never used any other, and I trust I never shall. Okay, so Thomas Paine, people. One of the first American punk rockers, baby. I love it. I love his story. The more I learn about Thomas Paine, the more I like that guy. Um, so there we go. There's a few of the, you know, founders, social contract theorists, founding principles, you know, the, the philosophies of uh, some of the men that, uh, you know, were trying to create a new, better world, a more equal, a more free world for everyone, regardless of race, color, creed, etc. And, you know, obviously that didn't happen overnight. That took a long time to get out of the social consciousness over time. And it's not completely out as of today. I'm sure a lot of you would argue. I get it. I know. There's still racists out there in this world. I get it. Okay? But the system itself, you know, the problems aren't that everyone's racist. The problems are that the institutions have not upped with the times and those institutions are being protected by rich and powerful interests that don't want to see them change. That's the status quo. They are fighting to keep the status quo in place. And what is the status quo in place? The status quo in place is that these institutions, the police unions, education and insurance in general, the crony capitalist marriage of big government and big business, fixing markets, eliminating free market competition, etc., etc., etc. We've been over it a million times. Okay? You guys got to learn this stuff. Um, I'm going to talk about my one of my favorite libertarians right now because he has a, a couple good quotes that uh, kind of theme up with what we're talking about here today. Um, Murray Rothbard. I'm not going to intro and go into a deep uh, explanation about Murray Rothbard or any of the libertarian thinkers, to be honest, because I feel like that stuff needs to be saved for later when my audience understands everything else I've been talking about first. You can't even dive into that kind of stuff, really, until you have a, a, a nice foundation of knowledge laid so that you can understand and put into context libertarian thinking and concepts, etc. So um, here, R Murray Rothbard on the social contract. Uh, he says that, quote, the state has never been created by a social contract. It has always been born in conquest and exploitation. I love that. I love that. 
what he's telling you is that it doesn't matter if you have this hypothetical social contract that you agree to with, uh, you know, between this that you agree to as the ruled, uh, you know, this unspoken social contract that you have with your rulers. And I hate the word rulers because, you know, in a democratic republic where we elect publicly elected officials, there shouldn't be any conquest or exploitation of the people going on. And if there is, we should be able to remove and eliminate those people from office immediately. And we all know that that doesn't happen today, do we? And the reasons why are everything I've been talking about since episode one. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the reality, people. Just because, you know, all this social contract theory sounds great. And, you know, on paper, it's just like every other ism. Just like capitalism, just like socialism. On paper, you write it up and it's like, oh, the theories sound, you know, oh, it sounds great. But people forget that, you know, the human nature, the human action part. We are imperfect beings and no perfect system, no system will ever be perfect, ever. Uh, here we go, more Rothbard. Uh, libertarians make no exceptions to the golden rule and provide no moral loophole, no double standard for government. That is, libertarians believe that murder is murder and does not become sanctified by reasons of state if committed by the government. That means that if I can't kill you in the street, then the government can't go kill people anywhere else in the world either and not be held to a different standard. Very important stuff, people. We believe that theft is theft and does not become legitimated because organized robbers called their theft, quote, taxation, unquote. We believe that enslavement is enslavement, even if the institution committing that act calls it, quote, conscription, unquote. In short, the key to libertarian theory is that it makes no exceptions in its universal ethic for government. I highly recommend you people go pick up the book Anatomy of the State by Murray Rothbard. That is step one into libertarian thinking and philosophy if you choose to go down that road okay i'm not going to talk about libertarianism until far far in the future if i even do because a lot of you that know me know that uh you know i i eat slept and breathe this stuff for a long time and you know there are there are some things that you know sticking to principle is one thing but you know sticking to principle like like i've been talking about you know, it's it's never going to happen perfectly. There's always going to be fallible humanity involved, and there's always going to be the state of nature and what's happening in the world involved. You know, uh, weather or cosmic events or whatever. You know, who knows what's going to happen that's going to force us to change the way that we you know, run our societies and our institutions and our governments. You know, so that's why I don't like to stay so fundamentalist and so firm on any point anymore. I don't like to be so sure of myself anymore because I've been proven wrong many, many times before and I'm sure you all have too if, you've, if you're being intellectually honest. 
you know, intellectual curiosity is step one. Being intellectually honest takes work and it takes time and it takes the development of skills that allow you to check your ego and be a good person in general, a moral, principled, upright, decent, pragmatic, cooperative member of society. And, you know, and I've said this before. Here we go. Here's one of my Thomas Jefferson quotes I forgot to tell you guys about that I've been wanting to run by you. You know, going back to Eric Fromm, if you want to make fruitful use of your freedom, you got to develop yourself. Here we go. Thomas Jefferson. If a nation expects to be ignorant and free, it expects what never was and never will be. This guy's a lyricist, Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> should put that in a song. If a nation expects to be ignorant and free, it expects what never was and never will be. So guess what? There's a lot of ignorant Americans in this country, right? And part of the reason why we aren't as free as we could be or should be is because of that cult of anti-intellectualism that Isaac Asimov was talking about. This belief that your ignorance is as good as other people's knowledge. It's pathetic and disgusting. It's just gross. It's gross. People that that think that you're you know everything all the time and you haven't read a book since high school, you're gross. You're disgusting. You you creep me out. Ick. Get better. Try harder. Find a motivation. I don't know what you gotta do. Um, uh, I'm going to talk about Francis Bacon real quick. So Francis Bacon, uh, he is a Englishman, shocker, uh, also known as Lord Verellum, was an English philosopher and statesman who served as Attorney General and as Lord Chancellor of England. His works are seen as developing the scientific method and remained influential through the scientific revolution. So Bacon was a smart guy, and a lot of people uh, of this era um, were, were reading Francis Bacon, and we're, we're going over what this man said. And he has some pretty good quotes. He's the guy that's famous for saying, knowledge is power. That's Francis Bacon. Uh, one of my favorite Francis Bacon quotes. Let me bring it up. Here's a couple of them. This is my all-time favorite right here. If a man will begin with certainties, he shall end in doubts. But if he will be content to begin with doubts, he shall end in certainties. Take a minute and think about that, people. You want to really, you know, you really want to make the quest searching for absolute truth? Francis Bacon says, begin with your doubts and you shall end in certainties. Don't be begin with your certainties. Don't think you know everything. Don't stick so close to your belief system that, I mean, you can stick close to your principles, of course. That's, that's the goal. But... You can't devoutly believe in anything too much because then you that's that slippery that's that slippery slope 
down the path to fundamentalism, whether it be left, right, whether it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Once you take an idea too far, you become a fundamentalist. You become a nut job. <laughs> so begin with your doubts. Don't know. Don't think you know everything. Question everything. Be curious. Go out and find it. Look at what other people have commented commented and said about certain topics. Uh, you know, like I said about those Yelp reviews. Go over all this stuff. Find the common themes. That's the best way to find what you know, subjective or as close to objective truth as as you're ever going to get. You know, that's what you got to do. Okay. Um, here, another Francis Bacon quote. It is, strange, it is a strange desire to seek power and to lose liberty. Or to seek power over others and to lose power over yourself. It is a strange desire. And I feel like I've said this before. Only the megalomaniac, egomaniac, demagogue holier-than-thou, self-important, believe that they're cut from a finer cloth than the rest of us people in this world. The psychopaths. It is a strange desire to seek power, to be so focused on power that you're willing to give up your liberty, your sovereignty, your freedom. It's almost like selling your soul to the devil, isn't it? Here's another good Francis Bacon quote. He's talking about reading here. I love this one. Some books are to be tasted, others to be swallowed, and some few to be chewed and digested. <laughs> I love it. These people read all the time. These people read more in their day than you watch TV or have your face in the screen today. I think it was Thomas Jefferson or one of those founders too that said, I cannot live without books. They, he didn't know what he would do with himself if he didn't have books. Books, people. I should call this episode books. <laughs> books, go read them. <laughs> Turn off the TV, go read books. Oh man, people, what are we doing? Uh, I'm going to keep doing this podcast, man. I'm going to keep it going. Uh, any other Francis Bacon I want to run by you guys before I move on? Well, this is an interesting one. Uh, small amounts of philosophy lead to atheism, which is pretty common, I'd say, these days. A lot of people that think that, you know, they don't want to believe in God. But larger amounts of philosophy bring us back to God. Very interesting, curious quote. I love that. I know a lot of people that have wrestled with the <clears throat> God or no God dichotomy throughout their entire life. I know people, I was one of them, raised in the church. And, you know, I really don't go to church as often as I as I used to anymore. It's not that I don't believe in a God. Um, it's just that, you know, Christianity, in my opinion, is just one version, one set of stories out of many Many, 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 many stories that are discussing the same thing.
You know, humans are just, we're just trying to figure out what we're doing here. What our purpose is. Why are we on this planet? Is there a divine purpose? Or are we just like some chance occurrence? Just this small little blip in time. As the the energy of the universe plays itself out. You know, that's why I kind of bring up the alien thing all the time and I have in previous podcasts because it's like, you know, what happens to all of our religious beliefs? You know, if, you know, if, if aliens came to earth, would we view them as the gods that we've been praying to throughout all of human history? Or would, would we be, would we be happy to see them? Oh, our gods are returning to earth. Our prayers are being answered. You know? How would we know that they have our best intentions in mind if they did return? <laughs> These are deep, stony, you know, psychedelic thoughts. Uh, but I think all of us have them at one time in our lives or another. Sooner or later, you're going to think about this stuff and you're going to get to that point where it's like, you know, is, is this world by design by a, a, a divine creator? Or is it all just like nihilism and existentialism? Just It's just a chance occurrence. We're not special. You know, none of this intelligent design and nothing you see in the world is, is important or worth anything. You know, that, that philosophy, you know, that's like Nietzsche stuff right there. Like nihilism and existentialism is, is you know, I've read Sartre. I've read Nietzsche. I've read some of those guys. It's, you know... I don't know, man. I just want to be more positive than that. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely truth to what some of those guys are saying, but, um, you know, it's there's so much information out there, people, that you can be diving into so that you can have a better understanding of the world that you live in and the country that you are a part of, whether you like it or not. So I guess what I'm just, my, my, my overall thesis with all this stuff is just, you know, do you want to just give up and throw it away? And if, if we do that, what are we going to rebuild it as? Is it going to be the next chop, Chaz, the entire country? 350 plus million people? <laughs> or should we all, you know, should states become sovereign nations and we all secede from the Union? The not United States of America. Uh, we'll all write our own constitutions, our own state constitutions, right? If you, you know, I actually don't think that's such a bad idea because if you don't like how your state runs the show, you got forty nine other options to go to. You know, you can find your favorite little place in the world. You know, or should we should we amend the constitution? Should we have another constitutional congress? You know, how are we going to do it, people? How are we going to move forward as a nation? How are we going to get 350 plus million people on maybe not the same page, but a similar page, give or take? I don't know, man. I just just really hope that you guys are enjoying this content. I really hope. This one is just kind of me going stream of consciousness now. Uh, I just wanted to kind of talk about some of my favorite smart people quotes. Um, you know, the founders of the nation, the philosophies behind the social contract theorists, uh, etc. So uh, I'm going to take a break 
And when I get back, we will have more fun excitement. Fun and excitement, rather, here on the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. All right, uh, welcome back. We are, I'm about to read some lyrics to you guys. Themes up real nice with what we're talking about today. Here's the lyrics. A nation in silence, too frightened to run. The secret police got you under the gun. At the hint of dissension, there's a mark by your name. Now you're never alone, just a pawn in the game. Call it state control. Destroy your mind. You think you're safe, boy? You're out of time. We're all slaves to subversion. A trick of the trade. The ones in control are the ones getting paid. They're stealing your spirit and breaking your will. With polarized violence, they'll train you to kill. All right, that was State Control by the band Good Riddance. And, uh, you know, as always, except for the last episode, the lyrics theme up quite nice with the stuff I've been talking about. Uh, This has been the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Um, thanks a lot for listening, guys. Uh, as always, if you like the podcast, please share it, uh, spread it around, tell your friends. Um, soon up on the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com, <clears throat> I'll have a button for donations. And if you like the podcast and you want to help support it, uh, I would really appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I really am kind of doing it for free for fun right now, but if I can uh, learn how to monetize it and if I can grow an audience big enough uh, worth taking that trip and making it more of uh, of my life and my work, then um, you know I'm going to need some compensation for that. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to throw me a couple bucks, uh, periodically check back to the website and soon I will have a donate button there if you wanted to donate to the show. So um, email me if you like, andrew4america1984 at gmail.com. Um, I might have a Patreon account coming up soon. Uh, I just loaded uh, Squarecast in uh, to my computer, so now I'm going to be able to do interviews. I'm going to be able to record audio and do interviews on uh, uh, Square Squadcast or Zoom, I believe I'm going to use. One of the two. I can't, I can't decide yet. Um, but yeah, so it's not going to be just me running my mouth, uh, moving forward. I'm going to have some guests that, uh, have expressed interest in coming on the show and, uh, throwing a little bit of their two cents out at you. Uh, and you know, I think it's going to be good for my show and, uh, it's going to be good for not only me to be running my mouth. I can't wait to have some like-minded, uh, individuals, friends, colleagues, uh, etc. Come on and, um, you know, give you some new, similar, or maybe even differing perspectives. Either way, it's going to be very entertaining and very informative and very necessary for you, for me, for all of us. Thank you so much for listening. This was episode 17. Episode 18 coming soon. 
And uh, stay tuned. Very, very fun, exciting new things will be coming to the show very soon. Go buy books. Go buy actual physical books. Buy pens and highlighters. Skim read, speed read. Highlight your your favorite, most important uh, points, quotes, etc. Assemble a collection of quotes and stories by smart people. That is my best, most honest request. (laughs) And don't do it for me, people. Do it for yourself. It's got to start inside first. All right, guys. We'll see you next time.